This is episode number 40 with company growth specialist, Steph Barry. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side and I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often, it's a one-size-fits-all approach, but not with 919 Marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now, let's drop into the episode. My guest today, Steph Barry, is an absolute powerhouse. Steph is a former international executive working across a variety of countries with large companies like WD-40. Now, Steph leverages her experience to help small to medium-sized businesses grow to the next level. Steph shares in this episode some key insights to help any small or medium-sized business figure out what they need to do, what they need to change, and what they need to implement to take their business to the next level. Steph talks about her growth audit that she takes her clients through, something that many of you listening in with your own small businesses may want to consider applying in your business. Steph also talks about her eight levers to growth that are essential for any business if they want to continue growing and scaling. Tons of advice, tons of practical experience that Steph shares with us in this episode, and I know you'll get a ton of value. So without further ado, let's drop in with Steph Barry. We were, in, 
introduced by a mutual friend, Barry Falcon, who's been on the podcast as well. And I think you and I talked initially probably two or three months ago, uh, if I remember correctly. And then I had a baby or, well, I should say my wife had a baby. And (laughs) so we had to reschedule this, but uh, very excited to have you here. You have a really cool story. So I'm excited for you to share that with the audience. And then also, you know, share a lot of what you do in your business, helping and coaching other companies when it comes to growing and scaling. So uh, I know you'll have a lot of good insight and and advice to share with us here today. So, hey, on that note, for those listening in that may not, you know, be familiar with who you are and what you do, maybe give us kind of the, uh, the quick overview of, you know, what you've been up to and how you got into what you're working on now. That's great. Thank you. My background's actually global business. Um, I started working at WD-40 Company. Some of you might know it. Um, It's a company that's global and all around the world. They make a famous lubricant product. Um, And I worked there for 20 years. And I ran their marketing for Latin America. I worked with Asia. I lived in Australia, China, ran all of Asia, did global innovation for them. Um, I worked with Canada, worked with Europe, so I pretty much worked and lived in almost every region of the world. So cool. Yeah, it was really a great experience. Um, And since then, I've been at a couple of different companies, one of which is Solitube. They Mm -hmm. make a tubular daylighting device, so it's building material products for homes and businesses. So it's really awesome being part of a product that is sustainable and brings sunshine into people's lives. Yeah. Um, I worked for a couple of years at Hunter Douglas, the window covering company. So I have a really strong background in consumer products and global business. For anyone that's a dad out there, I can guarantee you they know what WD-40 <laughs> is because it's, you know, like most dads go to to fix anything uh, that's squeaking or, uh, you know, not functioning right around the house. I've got pretty good supply hanging out yeah. in my garage. But so, you know, how did you how did your career start and how did you, you know, climb the ladder to the point where you're doing, you know, running big global teams and all these different parts of the world? So I've always been someone, I don't sit idle well. Um, And I'm kind of always looking out for different opportunities. But when I was really young, I started at WD-40 by answering a newspaper ad and a friend of mine that I had worked with convinced me to apply Um, and so kind of just diving in, throwing myself into stuff, trying it out, you know, and, and a lot of times it sticks and it works, but also throughout my career, always looking for, okay, I'm happy. I love what I'm doing, but what are the other opportunities? Where's the company going? Where's the product going? You know, what's, what do I want to be doing? So it's partly just a personality thing and partly, um, just being more proactive about my own career. Yeah. No, it's to me, it's fascinating. I mean, doing business all over the world. I don't know if we talked about this when when we first spoke, but, you know, I went to business school and I quickly realized that pretty much all of the professors I had in business school were lifelong educators. They'd never actually, and I had an emphasis on marketing. So I had a lot of marketing professors and, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm like, all these professors have never actually done marketing for a business. Like they've just been in the classroom teaching and I don't mean to take away from what they do, obviously learned a lot of good things, but there was no real world experience being taught in the majority of these classes I was in in business school. The the one professor I had that sticks out in my mind most, it was an international business uh, class and he had worked in the pharmaceutical industry 
all over the world. He had run, you know, his company's division in Russia during the Cold War, right? So he was literally doing international business during the Cold War. He had run their South American operations and lived in Brazil and told us stories about having to, you know, ride around with bodyguards and armored cars because executives like himself were targets for kidnapping in South America. So the point is, though, he taught through stories and real world experience. And I learned more in that class than, you know, a lot of my other classes combined. So, you know, I'm just fascinated with someone like yourself that's got this background doing business internationally. And I definitely want to, you know, talk more about what you're doing now. But before we do that, I'm curious, like, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you have from doing business all over the world? Because, you know, it's not always the same the way, you know, companies do business here in America is not always the same, you know, as the way you would do business with another company based in a different part of the world. So what are some takeaways that you have from all of this experience in terms of, I guess, just the differences in in doing business internationally, but also maybe some commonalities that you've seen? And I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's both of those. It's a tolerance for those differences, understanding the market from their perspective and even mm. business from their perspective. When I ran the China team, when I lived in Shanghai, very, very different mindset about business, very different education system. Right. Um, and so I had to adjust my leadership of them and my leadership of the team, but they also were functioning in a public American company. Mm. So I had to help them bridge that and, and, and yeah. learn how to, how we think and how we do things. We tend to be, you know, we're very strategic in the Western environment and their environment. It's much more um, following, you know, the rules and, and memorizing things. So it's definitely understanding things on their terms and from mm. their perspective and, and kind of getting out of your own ego. Mm. You know, you're uncomfortable a lot. You know, you're traveling, you not only travel and stuff, but just you're in places where the food's different and you don't <laughs> understand how things work. And so just being really open to that and being very tolerant. But then also the second part, which is really important, is finding that common ground. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I have always said, I think it was Nelson Mandela, but you, we all have mothers and, you know, mm. we all have something in common and we all have parents. So we all have families. We all came from somewhere that's the same experience. Sure. And finding that common ground so that you're connecting with people that you're working with. And, and doing those two things work very well globally and are almost required, but it works very well in day-to-day business and you know, domestically as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so I have two questions for you before we move on. Number one, favorite place that you've lived uh, in all of the places that you have lived? Sydney. <laughs> Sydney, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've not had the chance to go to Australia and I kick myself regularly because I had a chance to do a uh, like semester-long internship in, uh, in Australia, not too far outside of Sydney. And uh, for whatever reason, I think I decided not to do it so I could stay home and work and make money and huge regret of mine not being able to do that or not taking advantage of the opportunity. But yeah, I can imagine living in Sydney was pretty cool. So second question then is, what's the craziest thing you've had to eat in like a business dinner setting internationally? Any, anything? Uh, you lots, know, kinda, <laughs> lots of really <laughs> weird, gross, you know, birds, like a whole little bird or a duck larynx <laughs> or pig's blood, curdled pig's blood. Um, oh, nice. And um, they have a really, really strong alcohol drink that I mean, I can hold my own, but it was bad. Um, it was like battery acid. Uh, 
but I actually did. It's bad. Um, it actually it makes you have really weird dreams and oh, a little bit um, of a hallucinogenic going yeah, on. I, yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> but um, I actually wrote a blog on chicken feet, and oh, really? I had a really interesting engagement with one of the people I worked with eating chicken feet because I'm like, it doesn't really taste one way or the other. It's not a bad thing to me. It wasn't hard to eat it. It just wasn't very appetizing yeah so to look at probably and look at it and eat it it's very chewy it's <laughs> I was like I don't understand this and we had a really interesting discussion about I was really open to like why is this really important and why do you like it and it opened my eyes to a lot of cultural things for them and it really actually changes the way I led the team so I wrote a little blog about it because, really yeah it's um they're very contextual food is extremely important to them because they had so many famines that you know, sharing food and getting around the table and eating all parts of the animal is important, but they're also really contextual. The chicken feed has, um, you know, it's like nubs, so it has texture for the tongue, but it's, you can, you have to like pull the cartilage off and so they can spend time and chewing on it and how that feels like for us, we just eat, you know, we like right. taste, and we like color and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Theirs is like, there's four or five other things going on when they're eating. So you'll have to send me a link to that blog article if, you, okay. if you'd like, and I'll put it in the show yeah, yeah. notes so people can check it out. Um, I'd love to read it. But yeah, I mean, that's a good point of what you mentioned earlier, which is just kind of being able to, you know, put yourself in their shoes and understand from their perspective why different things might be important to them that, you know, traditionally we as Americans may not, you know, put that much thought into. Yeah. Um, so very cool. So you've got this amazing career and you know corporate america leading big global teams all over the world uh but you don't do that anymore you made the decision to kind of leave corporate america do your own thing so i guess first of all tell us a little bit more about what it is you're working on today but then i'd also love to hear you know why you decided to kind of transition out of working for these large international companies and uh you know kind of do something on your own Thank you. Yeah. So I focus now on growth and I work with small and medium sized private companies, often they're family owned businesses. They're in the second or third stage of the business life cycle. So they're often coming out of their startup phase mm -hmm. and in the same industries I've been in consumer products, manufacturing, industrial, automotive, building material. The key is also that they want to grow. So they, they have a desire and a mindset for growth. And what I do is three things. I do a growth audit so I can come in and audit the business for what's helping them grow and what's hurting them from growing and give them a path to follow or retained advising. So come in and help fix some of those things mm -hmm. or also board advising. So I do board work for a lot of companies like that. Very cool. Yeah. So what was it that made you decide that you wanted to focus on, you know, helping other companies grow? So the bit, one of the things that started to happen for me is I loved working with the companies I did, but I liked working with lots of companies. And it's one of the reasons I did move around a couple times in my career is I like new things and I like putting myself in new challenges and figuring them out and I'm good at it. Um, so it was an opportunity for me to work with a lot of different companies and, and people 
and do different things. So using my brain and using the skills that I have to help people. Mm-hmm. But the other part, honestly, is um, a friend of mine coined it her portfolio life. So I'm going to steal her term. Okay, I like that. As a, wom- as a woman, it's sometimes, you know, the f- I wanted more flexibility for, mm-hmm. you know, I have a son and just time to spend time with him, but also more self-determination in my own income and my own career. Mm-hmm. And so when you have this portfolio of things that you're doing, you know, different clients and different board work, and it's just a more, you have a little more control about your career and where your income's coming from by also diversifying it. So that's really what I'm, I'm doing. Yeah, no doubt. I was going to say, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're diversifying. You use the term portfolio. I like that, but you know, and that's, that's a lot of the people that I work with. That's exactly what they're looking to do. And I mean, even you operating at such a high level, you know, with these large companies, you know, you're, you're still running a risk of, you know, something changes and all of a sudden your position could be expendable, right? Regardless of how, you know, good of a job you're doing, you know, you're a top performer, but at the end of the day, if all of your eggs are in this one basket of your employer and, you know, something like COVID-19 happens, I mean, a lot of top performers have lost their jobs due to no fault of their own, just things completely outside of their control. So, you know, it sounds like you definitely, you know, have diversified, taken a little more control of your livelihood and also giving yourself more flexibility and opportunities to work on, you know, different things, familiarize yourself with different businesses and so forth. So to me, that makes a, a lot of sense. Thanks. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely COVID's, especially for women, one in four women have left their jobs this year, not only oh, wow. because of the company you know, either downsizing, but also they often are the ones that are helping the kids at home and with virtual yeah. school and all that. Oh, it's yeah. just been really hard on women this year as well. So yeah. diversification and, and having, you know, your own destiny, making your own destiny is what was really important to me. Yeah. So I'm curious as you were, you know, thinking about making this transition, was it scary for you? Did you, were you nervous to, you know, walk away from what I'm sure was, you know, very good income and great benefits that came from working with these large companies was, I can only imagine that was pretty nerve wracking. It's really hard. You know, the paycheck is, is a nice drug. I mean, you know, that (laughs) it's, it just appears in that bank account. And when you don't have that anymore, that's, it's hard and it's scary in the healthcare that comes with it as well. Yeah. Um, but it's something I've worked on a long time. This wasn't a, just a decision I made this year. I've had the business for about six years now and was slowly ramping it up and getting it ready and savings and, you know, making sure financially it was the right time and place for me. So it wasn't a quick decision. It's still a scary decision, you know, even, yeah. you know, you got to make sure that, but it's also something kind of nice about relying on yourself. Like, Hey, it's up to me to go generate revenue and up to me to go, you know, keep my business going. So it's a little bit above. No doubt. There, there's trade-offs with everything, but I, I like the point you made because I think a lot of people that, that are, you know, having thoughts of, you know, wanting to be independent, wanting to be out on their own, you know, they think about it as this very black and white thing. Like one day I'm employed, the next day I'm not. And that's very scary. And, and for a lot of people, that is how it goes. But there's also usually ways in which you can, you know, kind of start easing into that transition, start laying the groundwork for whatever it is you want to go do next uh, without just having to completely walk away from your job and, and your income. So 
sounds like you were able to do that. And that was a big part of, you know, giving you the confidence that you needed to, to fully make the transition. Yeah. And I want to say one other thing, because it's also a matter of people are there to help you and, and companies are, you know, a lot of times people leave corporate because it's the big evil, but the way I left Solitude's been really great. You know, we, we worked out a deal where I'm still, they're my client now. So there was a bit of a bridge for me. And I've talked to a couple of other women that have left their current roles, but are consulting back with their, the companies that they left. So, you know, it doesn't have to be this big break either. You can have a transition and, and companies and bosses are often very understanding and it's a win-win. I mean, in the end, yeah. you know, we both win. So it also doesn't have to be this big singular event, you know, in time and this big breakup with your company or with corporate. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. It can actually be very strategic, right? I mean, especially if you're, you know, going into more of a consulting or, you know, business coaching type, you can actually turn around and provide the same services you had been providing to your former employer, and then also provide the same or similar services to other companies, increasing your income. But then for your you know, that former employer, like you said, it can be a win-win, right? Because they don't have the overhead of having you as a full-time employee with all the benefits. It's a little more flexible. So that's, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, I think a good strategy if, if you are looking to get into, you know, more of a consulting type business. And, you. and you made a point too, that I think is, is really good, which is, you know, this feeling of kind of, you know, being independent, Hey, it's up to me to go out and generate the income. Like, for a lot of people, I think just, you know, knowing that they're building something for themselves versus building something for someone else, it, it makes a lot of the difficult aspects of doing the work easier in some regard, at least, right? I mean, for me, at least when, when I know I've got to get up and, you know, I've got a super busy day, maybe some things in that day that I don't particularly want to do it's a lot easier for me to find the motivation to go do them anyways, because I know I'm doing it because I'm building something for me and for my family, not building something for someone else. So for me, at least it's easier to kind of reach inside and find the motivation, even when times get tough. I think, and I bet you went through the same thing to agree when it's your passion and your livelihood, you're super motivated. For me, it took a while to what, I mean, I have lots of passions. So which one do I want to put my money on and which one, do I put back in? And you and I yeah. talked about and a couple times is there's many other opportunities. You can own a franchise. There's a lot of women that, you know, you know because I'm a woman, I'm thinking about women, but women sure. and men that own franchises and, and, and go do that. You can do board work. You can go have your own business. You can just, you know, go be part of the gig economy and, you know, make money in other ways. So, you know, and I'm sure for you, it was the same. Like, what are the things I love? What do I feel like I'm good at? You know, I'm going to do a little bit of this podcast. I'm going to do a little bit of this um, other project. And so I think just taking the time to figure out what that is too. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, for me, there was a lot of thought that went into it. And, and a lot of my, you know, reasoning for starting my consulting business was similar to, to yours, just in that I wanted to, you know, be able to work with more people, you know, because before I was working for, specific franchise companies talking to people solely about that franchise opportunity. And I would meet some awesome people and, you know, develop relationships with them, get to know them. And then, you know, we would come to the conclusion that the franchise I was representing was not the right fit for them. And then, so that was kind of the end of the road as far as me being in a position to help them. 
so now, you know, I have a lot more flexibility to continue working with people until they find something that's the right fit. So that was a, a big part of it for me. Um, and then also just, you know, specific to franchising, owning franchises has been a game changer in our lives. It's given us a lot more freedom and, and flexibility. So I look at this, I mean, it is a business for me, but I look at this as a way that I can, you know, help other people figure out some of the same things. I was very fortunate to, to have other people helping me figure out, you know, at a pretty young point in my life, I guess. But um, I do agree that, you know, f- making sure you have the right reasons to make a big life change like going out on your own is is important and if you have numerous passions kind of really taking the time to think through you know what's going to be the best move for me in terms of where do I want to be focusing the majority of my time and energy. Wes here you may have noticed there's a franchising theme to this podcast and that's because franchising's had a massive impact on my life and it's the very reason I'm walking my own path to freedom. In fact, one of my companies is a franchise consulting company where I work with people to help them understand franchising and determine if it might be a good fit for them. And if it is something they want to explore, then I help them navigate the entire investigative process and ultimately find a franchise business that's a great match for them. You know, the fact of the matter is there are thousands and thousands of franchise businesses out there today. And like anything, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Even out of the many, many great franchise companies, not every one of them would necessarily be a good fit for you. You know, buying a franchise is a huge decision and you don't want to wing it. I've helped many people buy franchise businesses over the years and my wife and I have bought and owned franchises today and we plan to keep investing in franchise businesses. I love helping people understand this process and help them find a business that's going to be a great fit for them and help them accomplish their goals and ultimately create that freedom in their life that we're all looking for. The best part of all of this is that my services are free to the people I work with. And while I do love to contribute to charities and other great causes, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm compensated by the franchise companies I work with when I introduce them to someone that ends up becoming one of their franchisees. It's very similar to real estate, but with franchises. I have the privilege of working with hundreds and hundreds of the best franchise companies out there across practically every industry. So I can be absolutely confident that when I recommend someone to look at a franchise company, I'm introducing them to a very credible and proven company with a solid business model and great support. So if you think you might be interested in learning more about franchising and seeing if it might be right for you, I'd love to speak with you. Get in touch with me by email at Wes at path2freedom.com, path, the number two, frdm.com. And also check out my website at path2freedom.com, spelled the same way, where I've got a ton of resources, both franchise and non-franchise related, that will help you start down your own path to freedom. And of course, subscribe to and follow the podcast for more great advice about business ownership. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in speaking with me, please share this podcast with them. Thanks for listening to my shameless plug. Now let's drop back into the episode. Tell us the name of your company too, so people can check out you know your website or or anything like that, and we'll put all it this has in the show notes. Really as well. unique name. It's Steph Berry Inc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I like it though. It's all you're building your personal brand. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, um, and I'm a, I'm a solopreneur, so I, you know, it's my work and it's my reputation, it's my experience. So I decided to name it after my name. Yeah. So um, yeah, Steph Berry Inc. And that's my website too, is stephberryinc.com. Cool. And we'll, yeah, we'll link that in the show notes so people can check it out if they'd like to. But you're, you're primarily, as you said, working with companies that are kind of coming out of their startup phase. So looking to, you know, grow to the next level. Do you have kind of like sweet spots in terms of how much revenue these companies are typically generating and what they're looking to get to, you know, when they would engage you? Yeah, typically they're somewhere at the low end, about $2 million in revenue, up to about $60 million, And they have their sights on somewhere between 20 and 100. So they have kind of big growth aspirations. Um, in terms of employees, you know, usually under about 250, you know, right. non-manufacturing. If they're manufacturing companies, it's different. But right. they usually, you know, anywhere from 10 employees to 250, depending on what stage they're in and how big they are. Yeah. Okay. And, and then from what I've gathered, your process kind of starts. So when you do engage with a, a new client, your process kind of starts with, I think you call it a growth audit. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the things that you're really looking at when you go in and do this audit with a new client or maybe even a client you're considering working with? And, and I guess what are some of the indicators for you, you know, in terms of, is it even feasible for a company to get to where they they want to get so usually they're either having trouble with growth they've tried some things they pulled too many growth levers at once and then there it's too much people are burnt out or you know their innovation products aren't working the launches aren't working they went global a lot of them go mm -hmm. global and it's kind of too early or they don't have the systems in place and mm -hmm. so they end up in regulatory issues um, so it's usually that they've gotten into this new phase of growth and something's kind of happened and they're, they're not sure what to do. Um, sometimes it's also though they're pulling levers as they come up, like they're having trouble growing and what they're doing is just reacting to market situations and pivoting a lot and all the time. So they're not really getting real sustained growth. It's more short term growth. Um, and so I go in and it's the, the growth audit is like a roadmap. It's like doing MapQuest. You know, there's lots of different routes to go from point A to B. And what I do is I come in and I tell you which route is the best and what the steps are in the right sequence. Um, and I, I look at eight growth levers and then help you understand as a business owner, which ones to pull when and what that looks like and also, I look at both growth opportunity and what's hurting the growth. You have to look at both sides of it and then fixing that in the map. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I definitely want to get into the eight growth levers, if that's okay with you. And, and you know, honestly, I love this analogy of, of the levers, right? I mean, as I'm working with someone, you know, to help them find a franchise business that's going to be a good fit for them, you know, my starting point is not with, you know, the widget the product or the service that the business provides. My starting point with them is, you know, let's get clear on what you want your role as the franchise owner to be, right? That way, you know, you find a business where you're spending the majority of your time on activities that number one, you'll enjoy, but also activities that play to your strengths, your skill sets, not your weaknesses. And once right. we get clear on that, then we can go out and start identifying specific companies that, you know, have a business model that line up with what that person's looking for. And one of the biggest pieces of, of advice I give to someone as they're actually doing their due diligence on a franchise business is, you know, you have to 
talk to other franchise owners that are already in that business. And, and I don't care, you know, what franchise company it is, just like any global organization, any sports organization, there's always going to be a bell curve, right? You're going to have top performers, underperformers, everyone in between. So my coaching is you want to talk to top performers, obviously figure out, you know, what are they doing to get the results they're getting? Not even a bad thing to talk to some underperformers because you can learn from them as well. And then, you know, everyone in between. So the point I'm getting at is I'm always encouraging people to really understand, you know, where are franchise owners in a particular business spending the majority of their time that's getting them the best results. And I always refer to it as levers, right? And in a lot of these franchise businesses, there's only a handful of levers that you as the franchise owner are going to have the ability to pull on to drive better results. And so you've got to figure out what are those levers. And then you have to look in the mirror and say, am, am I capable of, you know, performing well and being able to, to pull these levers that I've identified to get the type of results that I would need to in order for this business opportunity to make sense for me. So um, long-winded way of saying, I talk about levers all the time. I think about it the same way. So I really want to, you know, hear your thoughts on what are these, you know, eight growth levers that you're looking at, uh, you know, with the companies that you consult with. Yeah, it's you're 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 right, and it's great advice that you're giving them. I mean, you're setting guardrails for them, and then helping them get down that main path with those levers. So that's great. Uh, I talk about the four external and four internal levers because business owners often and and people that run businesses often think about them. They don't remember often to think about the internal ones. The external ones are the ones that often are the like sexy growth ones, you know, product innovation, new markets, new customers, new opportunities. Those are external market driven ways to grow your business. But a lot of times people will pull those levers and they're not ready internally. Mm -hmm. So it's putting a strain on the internal part of the business and it's not able to respond and, and manage that growth, whether it's just simply supply of product or the right kind of product in terms of innovation or um, being able, if you have new customers, are you, are you able to handle it? Can you mm -hmm. talk to them? Are you giving them the, the love and care they deserve? Yeah. Um, so I, that's why I specifically focused on the two separate areas and you really need to, do both and you need to know which to pull when. Um, and the four external ones I said were, you know, product innovation, new markets, new customers, and new opportunities, but internally employee engagement's really important. If you don't have employees that are excited to work and get work done, you know, a slowdown in productivity is going to cause, you know, burnout and churn. Um, and then also having strategic focus like you just talked about definitely is a big one. And that's part of that, Example I gave earlier where you're reacting to levers and just reacting as they come. If you don't have a longer term strategic focus and you're just reacting to levers, you're not going to be able to harness the right kind of growth. Yeah. And profitable processes, you know, I often see where, you know, you ramp up manufacturing and it's just not profitable. You throw too many, too many people at something or not enough people at something. So there's a lot of different processes throughout the business and not for process sake. I'm not a, I understand processes and there's a lot of consultants out there that do process analysis. I'm not part of that. I'm just looking okay. at it from a very high level, C level to say like, where are your gap, where are your, um, you know, what, where are your bottlenecks in your process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, especially nimble companies, the companies I'm working with are smaller coming out of startup mode. They don't want heavy process. It's like light right. process, but having a process. I mean, everyone has a process. It just not, might not be a good one. Right. Is it an efficient one or not? Yeah. Exactly. And the last one is the benchmark team, especially, I think you, you asked me somewhere about coming out of startup mode. When you're coming out of startup mode, you have new people, you know, you've been bootstrapping it and doing a lot yourself. You're starting to add people and that's a great time to add the right people and the right people in the right sequence. Cause that team is what's going to, they're the next in line and they're the shoulders for your growth. You know, if the business owner's the head, the, the benchmark team is the shoulders that carry that growth. So you want to really make sure you have that next level of team managing your employees and managing the strategy and everything. Yeah. Those what's are the main levers. What's the old saying? The people that get you to one point are not necessarily going to be the people that get you, you know, to the next point. Um, Definitely. You know, and, and I would imagine a lot of, you know, what you're coaching around, you know, the benchmark team is, you know, similar to what you would read in, you know, a good to great type book, right? Having the right people in the right seats on the bus. Yeah, um, exactly. So I'm curious though, and I, I like how you think about these levers as internal and external. And as you mentioned, you know, you need to be working on both of them. And I'm sure it varies depending on, you know, the specific company and where yeah. they're at in their growth cycle. But yeah. in, in your experience, is it, is it some, are you working on these internal and external levers at the same time or does one need to come before the other or does it really just vary? It depends on the, um, they do, they are sequenced, but they're not in the same sequence at the same time. Like you said, it totally depends on the business, not only the business that they're in, but also the market factors. And then also the owner, you know, what they've already got, what kind of people they already have on the team. Right. Yeah. You know, some owners are more strategic, some are more process oriented, some are more people oriented, some are only sales and marketing oriented. So their, their business tends to be built in the same way that they are most comfortable, especially coming out of startup mode. So it really does vary. And that's why I started the growth audit because, and it's, mm. and there's no, um, formula for it. It's a custom growth audit. I come in, meet with this, the business owner, meet with the senior team, you know, look, I'm looking at all aspects of the business, all the financials, all the data on the sales, the marketing, I'm looking at the market and then come back with a customized report for them. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a great approach. I would imagine there are too many consulting companies, firms, whatever you want to call them out there that take more of a one size fits all approach and, and probably don't get nearly as good of results for their clients because of that, because it, it is something that, you know, I would think is very specific to where a company is, what they're looking to achieve, what they already have in place, et cetera. Um, you know, but we talk about coming out of startup phase and you've mentioned a few times that, you know, in some cases, companies that you've worked with have, you know, grown too fast or they've tried to grow too fast. So how does, how does a company know when, when they're coming out of startup phase and when they're in the right spot to really set their sights on, you know, growing to the next level? Um, when you're coming out of startup mode, a couple indicators are you're, when you're in startup mode, you're trying to prove the model. You're like, mm -hmm. okay, this okay. is my idea. I want to prove it. And, and you you have customers, um, you're starting to get repeat orders. You have product that's pretty stable. Um, so you're not making a lot of changes to it. The market likes it. Um, so you're getting some traction. And the other big thing in startup mode is cash flow. Cash is king. Yeah. 
you know, just fix it, get it out the door. You know, I, I, I'm, business owners are thinking about their funding constantly in that phase. And it's not, cash flow is always tough in the first few phases, but you're really not thinking about it as much. Like you have a little bit more room to play. You know, you're like, okay, I need to hire a manager. You might need to hire, you know, sometimes the financials, you know, do I need a CFO? Do I need a, so you're starting to realize that you need more help. Right. There's more work to be done than you have. And that's, there's like not one finish line or one line, but those are some of the indicators that you're moving out of that and, and that you're going into a new phase. And the phrase you said earlier is exactly right. What got you here won't get you there. One of the biggest transitions is the one between startup and the second phase, which is the growth phase, is it's a completely different business than yeah. it was in startup mode. Yeah. How big is culture in all of this? Really big. That, and that's the point I made earlier about, you know, what kind of owner are they? Where are their okay. comfort zones? How are they leading? What are their own fears that are um, not blocking, but sort of getting in the way of them seeing the bigger business? It's one of the things that I would say to most business owners to help them with, you know, what with, with growth. I would say, what role do they, are, for them to think about what role are they playing in either helping or hurting the growth? Like step away. Yeah. It's hard because startup mode is you have survived. You have thrown all of yourself into something, maybe all of your own funding, maybe at risk of your family. I mean, I definitely understand how hard it is to be a startup business owner and how much you have to believe in yourself and how many people don't believe in you and you still believe in yourself. So I get that there's this big ego in a good way there, but there's also a big ego in a bad way there in that, especially as you start to hire people and you need processes and strategy, you do really kind of need to step out of yourself and out of your own ego and say, Hey, you know, what am I doing? That's helping. What am I doing? That's hurting. And then the second one is the SBA did a lot of research on this and something like a huge percent. I think you might even know it's 70% of the small businesses feel, but a very large percent of them said they failed because they didn't ask for help. Yeah. So yeah. I would say, especially coming out of startup and into the next phase, get help, whether that's a consultant, a coach, bringing on a board. A lot of small businesses, mm -hmm. particularly family-owned businesses, don't think about bringing on a board. And there's a lot of ways you can bring on a board that can really help advise you that won't hurt your ownership and your self-determination and, you know, your ability to, it, it can help you a lot. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's over last, I saw that over 70% of, um, you know, startup businesses don't make it beyond the first year. And then yeah. even, you know, after the first year, the numbers go continue to go down. Um, yeah. and then, you know, I, I familiarize myself some with these statistics because they do tend to be better with franchise businesses. But that being oh, said, franchise businesses, fell too. You know, there's plenty of franchisees that, you know, buy into a franchise and start the business and, and, you know, they end up closing it down or, you know, selling it and, you know, not really getting like a multiple of, you know, their EBITDA or anything like that. They're just selling it for, you know, kind of what they have into it. Um, but one of the biggest reasons someone in a franchise business would not be successful uh, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, really understanding your role as the owner. And, and a big part of what 
I'm meaning by that is, is like, where should you be spending your time, but also where should you not be spending your time? Where should you Great. be building well out a team to, to go handle those aspects of the business for you? Because I think that's, whether it's a franchise or not, where so many businesses struggle to scale is the owner or the CEO or whoever's at the top is a bottleneck. They're trying to do too much themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you've read it, uh, The E-Myth. I send a copy of that book to everyone that I work with that goes on to, you know, buy a franchise business because I think it's critical reading for any business owner. And, and really the general, you know, theme of that book is as the owner of the business, over time, you should be putting the right systems, processes, and teams in place so that the vast majority of your time is spent working on the business, not in the business. And that's again, why so many businesses don't, don't scale because there's bottlenecks. And a lot of times it comes down to the owner and sometimes it's ego and it's, you know, when you do have your own blood, sweat and tears and and money and everything into it, it's hard to let go in some cases, who's going to be able to do this better than me. Uh, But I think that's a big mindset shift that has to happen to scale is being comfortable letting go. Yeah, that's, exactly the core of the problem a lot of times yeah it's hard though i mean (laughs) we struggle with it in in our businesses i mean you know like in in one of our businesses my wife is the best salesperson we've ever had but you know if we didn't bring in other salespeople and delegate to them then we would have and that's a franchise business we would have bought her a job selling product for that business versus buying a business that we can grow and scale into something much larger than us and something that's working even when we're not working. Um, and we've been able to do that, still have plenty of work to, to be done, but it's hard. It's, it's a lot easier to sit here and talk about it than it is to actually, you know, put that in, into practice when it's your business. Um, yeah. And that's where having help can help you not only help you, decide what to do and help you implement it, but also just help you, you know, be a supportive accountability partner, you know, someone who can remind you and encourage you. So, you know, that's, that's where a lot of businesses do succeed by getting that help earlier. Well, and I think having a, you know, a fresh perspective from someone like yourself coming in, kind of looking at it from the outside, because, you know, as an owner, especially if you've been building a business for years, like you're very close to it. And so having someone that, you know, doesn't have all the history necessarily that, that you as the owner have with the business and can look at it, you know, kind of in a more, I guess, less biased way and say, look, you know, from the outside looking in, this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to shift in order for you to do what you're trying to do. Um, and I think the accountability piece is huge and all of that too. Yeah. 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 So this is all great stuff. Um, you know, as you've said, you tend to work with, you know, companies coming out of kind of startup phase and the two to, you know, I think you said $60 million range, but they have aspirations to grow to, you know, 20, 100 million, somewhere in there. A lot of the people listening to this podcast are, you know, either already small business owners, maybe a lot of franchise owners, or there's also a lot of people that, you know, are not yet business owners, but that's their goal. And they're trying to figure out how to get there. So, you know, I'm curious what advice you might have for, you know, the small business owner out there that's maybe doing, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in sell, or maybe they're, you know, flirting with their first million dollar a year, or even to someone that's, you know, just thinking about getting into business for themselves. 
you know, what advice would you give them in terms of setting their business up correctly from day one so that maybe they don't hit some of these bottlenecks and don't run into some of the same types of challenges that, you know, a lot of companies out there do as we've already talked about. And I think some of the things we talked about, you know, having that perspective and, and you just, you always need that. Um, and, and, you know, there are lots of people that do focus on those stages of growth and I can definitely refer people over, um, but, you know, a coach or, you know, consultant in that area can help. One of the things I always say to them is, again, startup mode is about survival and it's, it's very unique and you do kind of have to throw everything else away and just survive and bootstrap it and then figure it out. So I'm not sure there's stuff you do in the beginning, except to just be aware Mm. that what you're doing now is going to be different later and be aware of people. I mean, it's one of the, um, you talked about the e-myth, but there's another model that I really like. It's called the ADCES model. It's A-D-I-Z-E-S. It's from okay. the 70s or 80s out of Israel. And he talks about founders trap. And, you know, people that are founders have a certain set of skills to found a business and to get it going. Then they don't necessarily have the skills to run the business. It's, you know, it's like working in it versus on it. And mm-hmm. there's a version that's earlier, which is getting it started. Um. And so I just, you know, being aware of yourself and where you fit in that and um, then when to come and ask for help or hire someone that can do it for you or hire someone as a consultant or contractor that can do it, help you do it for you. But I think the bigger thing, what I always say is, you know, build it to survive today, but also keep your eye on what the building blocks are for tomorrow. So if you're going to go and hire someone because you need to get something done, in startup mode, are they someone that can grow with you? Is it possible to do it as a contractor now so that later you can get someone full-time? Just keep thinking about that future, you know, survive today. You have to survive today because then there won't be a tomorrow, but what decisions are you making today to survive that will help or hurt you for tomorrow as a building block for growth tomorrow? Yeah. makes a lot of sense. That's really good advice. Um, Anything else that you think would be, you know, helpful to the aspiring entrepreneur out there or, you know, maybe someone that's just starting out, you know, as a business owner, you know, just from, from all of your experience, I mean, maybe not even necessarily related to, to growth and scalability, but, um, you know, even if it's like, we've already kind of talked about how to overcome the, the, what I always call the FUD, right? The fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you know, the head trash that keeps so many people from, you know, really going out and, and doing what they want to do with their lives. Um, yeah. What other advice would you have for, for anyone listening in? I was going to say the same. I mean, I think that the opposite of FUD, you know, there you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Believe in yourself, be resilient, keep going. Um, and, and the, the other one is the reason I, focus my business on growth is I truly believe there's growth opportunity everywhere. And at all times there is growth out there. And just because you're having a tough time, you're failing doesn't mean it's not possible, you know, and I reach out for help network, you know, yeah. you, can, you can do it. You know, I just definitely believe everyone can find a way to, to grow. Well, I think that's kind of been a, a recurring theme and a lot of the advice you've shared is, you know, surrounding yourself with people that can help, right? Whether that's a board of advisors, you know, bringing in a CEO that's maybe got better experience to run the company than you, 
you know, building out teams. I mean, a lot of this all comes back to not trying to do it all yourself and, and asking for help. And one of my mentors, um, you know, he's in franchising as a franchisor. So one of the things he always, you know, tells franchisees is never suffer in silence, right? If, oh, if you're, book. yeah, it's, and it's always stuck with me. I think it's simple, but it gets the point across, you know, and especially in a franchise, like that's a big part of it, right? You've got a team of people behind you supporting you and it's in their best interest that you're successful. But so many people, just kind of put themselves on an island and, and whether it's pride or, or, you know, they're embarrassed or whatever, they don't ask for help. And, you know, if, if you're suffering in silence, you're not going to get the help that, that you need. And so I, I think, you know, like you said, you're not alone. Um, you know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, entrepreneurship is there's a lot of different ways you can go about it, but there's also so many common struggles that any entrepreneur is going through or has gone through. And so, you know, mastermind groups, I'm in a couple of mastermind groups that are people in completely different businesses than me, but it's amazing, you know, how often we're all struggling with the same types of challenges and how I can get advice or best practices from someone that's in a completely different business than me, but it's like so relevant to, to what I'm dealing with. And also, so often the timing is just impeccable. So, um, and your definition of help, you know, for some people, especially asking for help can be hard, but put your toe in the water, you know, read the email myth. That's a version of help. You know, yeah. it doesn't yeah, have definitely. to be any, and you're bringing up some other alternatives like mentorship is great and masterminds and podcasts like yours, yeah. Yeah. you know, past the freedom podcast, you know, just yeah. starting with, with start small, start in small ways to ask for help. You know, maybe a friend or a family member is in an industry that where they could just provide perspective to your point. Sure. So. Yeah. And I think just, you know, controlling your input, right? <clears throat> so, you know, positive input from other people that are like-minded and, uh, you know, for, like you said, I think a lot of it comes down to, to mindset, right? So a growth mindset versus a limited mindset, you know, you got to approach it with a growth mindset. Even if you're not growing at the time, you have to believe that you will be able to grow if, if uh, you know, you put the right pieces in place to do so. Um, so look, this has been awesome. So much good advice. I could, you know, talk about this stuff for hours with you, but I know you're busy and have a lot going on before I let you go though. I did want to give you a chance cause I know you, um, founded or co-founded a nonprofit organization. So I wanted to give you a chance to, you know, talk for a couple minutes about that if, if you wanted to. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Ava is a, it's co-founded. There's four of us that founded it and we actually call it a, um, passion project because we are not profit and we aren't profit. We're just neutral. And what we do is work with corporate women to help give them the skills and tools to advance at work. So it's an inclusive, safe environment where we, it's not about leadership. It's just about you defining what your thriving at work looks like. And we give the tools and skills. We provide a lot of free content on our website advancewithava.com okay. um, and then we provide at some point when COVID's over we'll provide workshops in person again <laughs> yeah I think we're all hoping those days come pretty soon um, yeah. <laughs> just went through a virtual conference last week and it was great but it was also like mind-numbing just you know <laughs> six straight hours of zoom calls um, <laughs> not, nothing quite like interacting in person so yeah, advancewithava.com. We'll put that in the show notes. I think it's very, very cool. And, you know, if any of these women you're ever working with decide they want to get into 
business ownership and maybe a franchise makes sense, you know where to send them, right? I'll take, uh, I do. take good We're care of them and help them find a great franchise that'll help them accomplish everything they want to. Yeah, um, we're doing a panel coming up, so I'm have you on my list as one of our panelists. <laughs> that'd be awesome. I'd be happy to if I can add value. I'd love to. Great. Yeah. Um, well, look again. Really appreciate this. I do have a lightning round. If you can stick with me for just sure. another minute or two, these are four questions that I ask every single guest that comes on the podcast, and I love just kind of, you know, hearing uh, from so many different successful people. You know what, how they think about these questions and. It's amazing to me how similar a lot of people's answers are, even though they're different, if that makes sense. It probably doesn't. But um, so the first question of the lightning round is very simply, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And that could be business advice or just general life advice. It ended up being both. When I moved to Australia and took over the team, and it was the first time I had run a team as a general manager, Mm -hmm. my boss at the time gave me a card. And it said, um, you know, when you're in doubt or, you know, FUD, right? When any Mm -hmm. of these things are going on, say, you know, remember what would Steph do? Mm -hmm. And he basically was telling me like, you know, believe in yourself. I believe in you. And it was a huge, huge boost. But I also, what it's come to mean for me also is authenticity. You know, what is my, we're at our happiest when we're most authentic. So it's come to mean both of those for me, but it's stuck with me for many years. Yeah. No, I love that. I think, uh, well, and, and I would say the most common response to that question has been some form of believe in yourself, invest in yourself, you know, something along those lines. But, you know, I love what you just added to that. Be yourself, be your authentic self, because that's when we all perform at our very best, right? Is when we're, you know, out there doing, doing what we want to do the way we want to do it. And that's when you're going to be able to add the most value and and whatever it is that that you're working on. So I love that. Um, Very curious about morning routines. Do you have any sort of a a routine that you, you know, try to to go through on a daily basis to kind of prime yourself for a successful day? I wish I had some great Tim Ferriss answer where, you know, 30 (laughs) minutes I get, but I I think for me, um, it used to be very much like a routine of exercise and and things like that. I think for me now it's more internal. Mm -hmm. It's time to think about the day or time to think about where I'm at or what I want to be doing. And I wouldn't say I have a set routine. I, I honor where I am that day and then get myself ready for the day, but it's my time. It's definitely my time yeah. in the morning. So at least having some time to yourself without yeah. the distractions of the outside world. So you can kind of focus and, you know, prepare for, for the day. And that's, that's why I like to ask that question, right? Because it's not the same for everyone. It doesn't work you know, what works for one person is not going to work for another. I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. I think he's probably why I first got interested in morning routines in the first place. Um, But to me, it's fascinating. And and any top performer, you'll find that they do have something that they try to do every morning, whether it's quiet time, meditation, exercise, whatever, before they jump into the chaos of the day. And I think for a lot of people, it changes, you know, over time too. Like my morning routine is very different with a seven week old than it was <laughs> weeks ago, you know, <laughs> so, so, you know different. just by, by definition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if you're, you know, a big reader or not, but if you are, I'm curious, what book are you reading right now? I'm a big reader and I read a lot of business fiction and nonfiction. Um, yeah. curiously, I'm reading a book called, a year of living Danishly. 
And it's a woman whose husband got recruited to Legoland in Denmark. No way. And she reads up and finds out that Denmark is apparently one of the most happy, happiest people in the world are in Denmark. And so she decides to live the way they live for a year to see if it changes her happiness. And all I know is she's arrived and it's the middle of winter. It's <laughs> super cold. It's like minus 10. And she's like, how are people happy? <laughs> she's like, and they, and they're like, they're like, it's going to be really hard to meet people because it's so dark. And she's like, how is this going to make me happy? So right. that's how, how are you people so happy? <laughs> No, that's interesting. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. All right, last last question here. Uh, What is your definition of freedom, and are you living it? Um. Wow, definition of freedom. My definition of freedom is maybe back to authenticity. I think you know your personal freedom comes from your inside, and you really only have that with your own authenticity. Um, but also there's an element of tolerance there for me, especially because I do global business and I, I interact. I, I think you have to have tolerance. There's a balance between your own freedom and other people's freedom. So it's somewhere in there between authenticity and freedom. And I don't feel like it's a destination. Um, I feel like freedom, I love the name of your podcast, Path to Freedom, because it, to me it is a path. Like, and it changes. We've talked a lot about how things change too. Yeah. Yeah. As you grow, the your authenticity, your you know tolerance changes, but um, yeah, somewhere in there, it's a path. Yeah, I agree. It's I don't think there's ever a finish line, especially with you know people that are very driven and motivated. Like I don't think you ever wake up one day and like I'm done. I'm totally. I think you accomplish certain things that you want to accomplish, and I do think it's healthy to take time and appreciate you know how far you've come. But I think you know for most people that are really growth minded. they're always kind of looking forward. Okay. What, what can I achieve next? How can I, you know, improve my life, et cetera. So no, I love that answer. And, and really like what you said about, you know, authenticity being a big part of freedom, but, and then tolerance, right. You've got to also give other people the ability to be authentic, authentic and appreciate that uh, about them. And so I I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. I I don't think I've had anyone answer it quite that way. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, again, thank you so much. This has thank been great. You. I know everyone listening in is going to get so much value. Um, I know we've already mentioned uh, a few websites, but just quickly tell people where they can connect with you if they want to get to know you better. Where can they learn more about your business as well as your um, AVA organization? Okay, great. They, so they all three intersect on my LinkedIn, my personal LinkedIn, which is okay. Steph Barry, but I'm also apparently was the first Steph Barry because my LinkedIn is Steph Barry one um, is my nice. LinkedIn. <laughs> I know I was like, how did I get that? Yeah. Um, so um, my LinkedIn is where all three come together um, okay. and I'm happy to connect. Um, and my stephberryinc.com is the website where I have my board work, my growth audits and the retained advising yep. and advance with Ava is our website for Ava. And is that uh, .com or .org? .com, sorry, .com. Advancewithava.com. And both Advance with Ava and the Stepberry Inc., we have business pages on LinkedIn for those. But Very cool. find me on LinkedIn, you can find those too. Awesome. We'll link all that in the show notes so people can find you. you. But again, really appreciate you dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. And um, I hope that we can stay in touch because I've learned a lot from you and you're definitely very inspiring. So keep doing what you're doing and uh, I hope to talk to you here soon. 
Oh, I love what you're doing too, Wes. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to share. My pleasure. Kind of you. Absolutely. All right. All thanks right, so we will much. Test and we will stay in touch and we will talk soon. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.